Well, it's inflation again, sending equities heading south again in the US and across Europe this morning. In fact, more so in Europe. It's supply chain driven, of course. How long is all that going to last? And what's happening with jobs in the US? There are job openings that are not being filled and wages might have to rise to fill them. Uh, Too much stimulus from the government, perhaps. And speaking of government investment, we'll look at yesterday's Aussie budget. Uh, China's PPI numbers as well uh, out overnight, higher than expected. And we'll look ahead to the US CPI numbers today as well. It's Wednesday, the 12th of May, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Uh, another bad session for U.S. stocks. The Dow is down 1.3%. The S&P uh, losing 1%. The Nasdaq down, but nowhere near as much as yesterday. Just down a little bit this morning. The big falls have been in Europe. A 2.5% fall in the FTSE 100. 1.9% for the Euro stocks 50. The U.S. dollar is down a little. The Aussie up a little. Another good day for the pound as well. It's up another quarter percent after uh, that big rise we saw yesterday. Ten-year treasuries are up a little too. Just two basis points on 10 years. But bigger rises in yields in Europe. Five or six basis points up for 10 years in much of Europe, uh, oil is up a third of 1% for Brent, 0.6% for WTI. Copper back on the rise, up another 1.6%, almost 480 a pound now, so another new high for copper. And uh, with that, once again, inflation is making the news. Let's talk about that with Gavin Friend. So it's a real risk-off mood again today, isn't it? We've got equities down. Although, of course, these are not usual times, because you'd expect bond yields also to be down if it's a risk-off mood. But, you know, we've got those inflation concerns, which are obviously playing in all of this. Yeah, good morning, Phil, indeed. Yeah, I think... Um well, what do we say? Something, something of a, a, a face-off between the markets and the Fed, isn't it? Really, I mean, the Fed and other central banks, you know, have been anticipating this higher inflation coming down the pipe on base effects, supply disruptions, higher energy prices, the economic reopening—you name it. You know, for some time, it's here now. Uh, these pressures, as we know, they think will intensify and then prove transitory and eventually dissipate. Markets of being sort of hearing this message for some time, but continue to blow hot and cold on this and um, on whether they really believe the Fed and others. I mean, we share the Fed's view, but there is, as we, you know, we've discussed before, there's no certainty here. No. And particularly with respect to things like the supply side disruptions. I mean, yes, they will eventually disappear, but when? when? Yeah, it, could be, so. it, could, it could be well into next and year. It, as and you say, it is a bit of a face-off, and that's why we're seeing you know quite a lot of volatility. So yesterday, uh, the, the slide in equities was much more focused on tech. It's much more broad-based today, isn't it? So banks and retail, we're doing okay yesterday, have sharply switched direction uh, again because of those inflation concerns. Is it just the inflation concerns, or I mean, can we also factor in just a bit of rebalancing here? I mean, sh- shares have risen so sharply this well, year. Well, I mean, yeah, it's tech that's, that's been leading it down the last two days but what's the underlying reason for this you know there isn't really an underlying link between tech specifically and inflation it's just that those tech the big tech stocks are the ones that have gone up the most they had made the most gains so let's call it vertigo and markets just being a bit cautious because they don't quite know as i say whether the fed's right when you hear comments from you know, respected people like uh, Bill Dudley, the uh, former uh, New York Fed president, who talks about he has no doubt that the Fed means what it says, that they're going to hold the line, they're going to wait and see this through. But he then says, and because of that, because of the economy picking up, eventually the Fed is going to have to go much harder than it otherwise would and because it'll be so behind the curve. It's not actually going to start raising interest rates until we get to full employment. And he talked about the experience of 2004 and 2006 where the Fed raised rates 17 consecutive meetings, taking the Fed funds rate from 1% to, to over 5%. Now, he's not suggesting – 
we're going to do that again. But he's saying that, you know, down the line, we could get to 4%. You know, for, for, for markets and for companies that are so deeply in debt, that would be a real worry. And so, you know, we're going to go through yeah. this. We're going to go back and through this over the next few months. Yeah, understandably why everyone's so jittery. So when uh, Patrick Harker uh, from the Philly Fed uh, this morning was saying, you know, he expects US GDP to get up to 7%, this year before it evens off. But again, obviously reiterating the uh, the inflation message, well, 7% sounds great, doesn't it? But then if they uh, if, if it's running so hot, the Fed has to respond, then that's not so great. You know, it's uh, it's it's getting the, the right balance, isn't it, for the economy? Yeah, I th- yeah, but I think, you know, as, as we've said, the Fed has made its bed. Um, it's changed policy. There is, it, I don't think it's credible to believe that the Fed is going to change tack and say, you know, throw its hands up in the air in the next couple of months and say, do you know what, we got this wrong. You, you know, that just, that's not that's not going to bite. It's got to, it's it's made its bed. It's got to, it's got to lie in it now, and it's going to see this through for probably six months. Um, and you know, and, and as I say, markets are going to be tested. So let's talk about jobs because uh, obviously we had that uh, that very bad non-farm payrolls, but job openings the, uh, the, the those numbers were strong in March. Uh, 8.1 million up from seven point five million in February. So that doesn't match the non-farm payroll story at all, does it? Or maybe it adds a case that you know that we're hearing from some quarters that the, the stimulus has been in, inhibiting the incentive to work. I mean, uh, there's that. And also these figures of February, of course, there's also perhaps the fear of getting COVID, because if you look at the start of February, you still had 100,000 cases a day and over 3,000 deaths a day. So I'm sure that played into it too. Absolutely. I mean, it's the supply side issue, isn't it? You know, you mentioned COVID mm. fears, people not wanting to get back onto public transport to go back to work, uh, problems with childcare. Uh, again, you can understand that in a pandemic. Um, the federal, generous federal uh, benefit system, which will be in place until September. And so that's got all of these things are coming out now after the disappointing non-farm pair on Friday as, you know, plausible factors that have held things back. Um, the idea being for things like the federal uh, stimulus, the federal uh, employment help, that will dry up in September. Will, are we going to have to wait until then to see some sort of, you know, payback on that? Um, so these are all questions. I mean, the, the other possibility is, is that the Friday's non-farm payroll was, report was just rogue. And actually we get a bit of, we get a bit of a bounce back and things aren't as, uh, supply side driven as we thought. But, um, all of these things now. Well, we'll see, won't we? Cause the, the, we had the uh, NFIB small business optimism survey, which was very high, 99.8, the, uh, the highest it's been since the start of the pandemic. But if you look into that survey, uh, some of the people filling in that survey are saying they're having difficulty recruiting people. 44% of job openings went unfilled in April. And you have companies saying they're having to pay more to attract workers. So, I mean, that could be causing inflation as well in the short term. Indeed. I mean, it was a positive report overall, but well below the highs that we saw last October. And again, that's because that's after that point, we we, we moved into the third uh, lockdown, the third uh, wave of the pandemic. Um, and the other thing in the detail was the selling prices. Uh, again, to the same conversation, selling prices jumped mm. 10 points. Uh, not really surprising, but uh, and, and boosted by gasoline prices. And if we think about what's going on with Colonial Pipeline at the moment, you know, they're yeah. suggesting they can get things back online this week. If they don't, we're going to see more of this stuff going on down the line. And we know that we're going to get it from the supply side disruptions around the world 
Anyway. They've got to get their website up as well. It's it's not a good day for them. I went to check what the latest was, and their website is down. I don't know whether that's been hacked as well. Uh, look, let's look at, and obviously that's affecting oil as well a little bit today, and there are concerns that they are going to run out on the East Coast. So, uh, that, I mean, you know, if that goes on for a week, uh, goodness knows what's going to happen. Let's look at what's happening in China, though, because uh, supply chain inflation is a thing there too. Uh, I mean, consumer uh, inflation fell in April, but PPI year on year up 6.8%. Yes, um, so up from 4.4, that's above the 6.5% forecast. Um, higher commodity prices, base effects, the drivers. And here, um, PPI, produced price inflation for raw materials, was up, what, 15% on the year, mining up almost 25%. I mean, this is all the result of the now well-known supply constraints, discuss, and, uh, and, and the global economic recovery. On the other side, the consumer price index for April was better behaved at up 0.9% from 0.4, slightly below the consensus. Here, again, we've got the low bo- uh, base rate, but pork prices uh, continue to be a factor. Um, so they they were down over twenty percent year on year, excluding pork. CPI would have been would have risen to something like one point four percent rather than zero point nine. If you look forward, the base effects will fade soon, but the global recovery, the high commodity prices, the supply pressures won't. An offset will be. We think uh, uh, pork prices could continue lower for a while, but the low level of CPI. And it being so this kind of supply side issue driven um, suggests that uh, driving the PPI suggests that there probably won't be any policy response from the uh, from the PBOC. Right. Okay. But it, it is another indicator that on those PPIs that uh, you know supply chain prices are going up the world over, and we don't we just don't know how long for, do we? That's the that's the big question mark. Indeed. But the Aussie the, the Aussie budget the uh, the deficit a little worse than expected, a long way to climb back. But part of that is uh, that deficit is because there's uh, this. Uh, uh, big uh, investment in infrastructure, aged care, national disability insurance, nothing nothing green uh, in amongst it all and not too much. But uh, really, I mean, uh, it, it's a spending budget, isn't it? Yeah. So relative to expectations, the budget deficit for the financial year 2021-2022 is, is higher at $106.6 billion. Markets have been looking for something like about $80 billion, but still below the $161 billion mid-year uh, fiscal review to the forecasts. The larger deficit underpins... As you say, more fiscal expansion, higher spending as the government takes advantage of higher than expected growth and higher iron ore revenues, those kinds of things. If you look forward, its forecasts are pretty conservative, um, the government with unemployment in at 5% by June. Um, The RBA has got, what, four and three quarters. Things are moving quite well there. The iron ore price, we're above 200 on the spot. Um, They see it declining to $55 a tonne by the end of March next year. So, again, there's there's, there's, this implies there's plenty of room for better than forecast outcomes. And in Europe, uh, we should have a quick look at the, the, uh, what's happening in bonds over there, because 10 years, five or six basis points up, just about all over Europe, what's happening? Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. Um, uh, so that's the highest level since uh, sort, of, sort of 2019. Um, if you look at break-evens, they're the highest since at 1.44% on the 10s, highest since 2014. There was a um, an issue. There's, there's a bit of supply going on here that's dragging up, um, <clears throat> dragging up yields. Germany issued a, a 30-year green bond today. 
and the the cover of that was like six and a half times it was good um so there is that but i think that the driver of all this is the economic recovery the reflation trade that's going on you saw the zew uh, analyst survey uh, for, for germany today we're not a particular fan of this but just it just shows where the emphasis is and it saw uh, current conditions the best since last march the story is the forward-looking expectations uh, index which absolutely surged to all-time highs well above what we're seeing uh, pre-pandemic all of this optimism is being fed from things like you know the 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 growth that we're seeing in manufacturing PMIs, the growing belief that the ECB will deliver a more optimistic set of forecasts and upgrades at its tenth of June meeting, something we've been flagging up. Um, and you know this is so this is pushing up pushing up yields. But here's the problem for the ECB. Remember. Back at its last meeting, you know, it was a bit more cautious about this. And prior to that, it saw these high yields as the global reflation trade coming as something that was was unwarranted and unwanted. And that was the point that it said, well, we're going to pick up our QE spending. Um, it did that. Um, now we're getting to the point where we've got the real animal spirits. The economy is opening up. That's a much more difficult thing for the ECB to fight back on. Um, actually, if you look at the latest uh, bond buying, it's the levels have, have, have paired right back again. So it suggests maybe the ECB is itself turning a bit more optimistic. It won't like the climbing euro. It won't like the high yields. But if they're being driven by real energy, you know, as the economy opens up, there's not a lot the ECB can do about it and it may well embrace it. So I think the market's becoming more confident that we're going to see that kind of stuff and that's reflected in stock prices as well. Now we're seeing year uh, on year. Uh, UK uh, growth, the GDP figure for Q1 is out today, which is expected to show a reasonably sharp contraction, but you know, hey, that'll just make Q2 look that much better, won't it? it and we get uh, US CPI, the C- CPI numbers for the US today. That's the, I guess that's the main number. We also get the industrial production for Europe and the UK. So it'll be interesting to see how things are kicking back in. But I guess, uh, you know, we've been talking inflation, US CPI will be pretty important it, it? it will be of course it will be um but i think everybody is expecting big rises on the headline slight rises on the core as well the problem is it's not going to be enough we're going to be watching this number uh and it's more important cousin core pce which comes out later this month for the next few months you know we need as the fed says sust- to see inflation sustained uh, sustainably above above two percent um it's going to go above two percent we now need the sustained part of that of that debate all right we'll leave it there for now good to talk gavin catch you again very soon thanks thanks phil cheers dave degas joining me from london uh, tomorrow that's it for today though i'm phil dobby for nab have a great wednesday